Hello and welcome again to another chance to get the scoop on how another manager is doing amazing things in the music industry. It is How Did You Manage That? Welcome if this is your first time. Thank you for returning if you've been with us for a while. Big thanks to everyone that got in touch about our last episode with the excellent Adam Alpert. Hello to any new followers or maybe Chainsmokers fans that have come back for more. Uh, we had a great reaction to that episode, all down to the stories and the insight that he was giving us. This episode is a really exciting one, as we are joined and allowed to delve into the mind and motivations of a manager called Charlie Owen. She looks after one of the UK's breakout stars of the last 18 months, Brit Rising Star Award and BBC Sound of 2020 nominated pop, neo-soul, I'm just going to say it, sensation, Joy Crooks. Joy is an artist who always comes across in media interviews, in her own social channels and the creative around her own music as super confident and proud in herself and it's clearly connecting with a much wider audience. Having met Charlie and now as you're about here in this interview, I think so much of that confidence in Joy comes from the closeness and trust that she's got with her manager. There's this shared ambition, a shared confidence and as you'll hear a lot of that, yeah, let's just go and do it attitude, which has definitely helped Joy achieve all she has to date. I really enjoyed this interview and it's a great account of riding the wave of media hype as an artist's star rises and turning that into a lasting audience and I have no doubt a lasting career. If you want to get in touch with the podcast, as always, it's at ManageThatPod on Instagram and Twitter. We always have to say a big shout out and a big thank you to the MMF, the Music Managers Forum, who support us and help us promote this podcast and help us book some guests. Um, they are great people and if you're not a member and you are a music manager, you should definitely look into them. Okay, let's get into this episode. It's season two, episode four with the brilliant Charlie Owen. Okay, this week we are joined by the excellent Charlie Owen, manager of Joy Crooks, who is having quite a year in many ways, in a very successful year and probably quite a strange year, like every other artist. Uh, how's it been, Charlie? Yeah, uh, strange, definitely a strange year. <laughs> probably no stranger for us than anyone else, though. So maybe, maybe a good way to start this one would be how you kind of found yourself into music management, taking us back mm. to the start, because every journey is different. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> I think, uh, and I think this happens quite regularly. I think I kind of fell into it, sort of a little bit by accident. So. Um, when I was sort of just leaving university, I started running gigs. So just booking like nights around London, mainly North London, Camden, Kentish town area. Um, and so then ended up becoming in-house for a group of bars, booking, programming a couple of venues. Um, and through that, I sort of met a few artists that I really liked, that I had a real affinity with. Um, so started working with them more regularly. Oh, I'll help you out with this. I'll help you out with that. End up managing them, basically. Um, so that was always sort of on the side of my day job. I went and worked full time um, as a contract administrator at UTA, which is a live agency for um, Neil Warnock, who is like a massive agent, an agent to sort of like mm -hmm. Dolly Parton, Motorhead, wow. <laughs> Pink Floyd back in the day. Yeah. Johnny Cash back in the day. Yeah. Some big hitters. Yeah. No way. Did Johnny Cash. Yeah, yeah, he, he Oh, my God. His roster has been absolutely incredible. Um, uh -huh. So that was quite 
uh, an experience. So I was there for a couple of years <laughs> and um, then always managing bands on the side. So I decided to go with that full time, went and got a job at a management company. And then that was sort of the kind of natural progression of it, really. How did you start working with Joy? How did that come about? Um, so I met Joy when she was, I think, 16, about to turn 17 um, at the company I started working for um, mm. as her day to day manager. So that's how we first met and first started working together. We worked together in that capacity for a couple of years and then went our separate ways for a little while and reconvened um, and we've been working together ever since. Was it something in particular about her that you particularly wanted to work with her and be her day to day or were you in that place where like you work for a management company they don't give you the choice they're like these are your artists and then as you got to know her you thought wow this is somebody I really want to to be her manager and, and work with her full time. Yeah, one hundred percent. The um, the latter. I um, I did get given her to work on. There was that was a fortuitous set of circumstances, but it was very quickly apparent that she was something special and a real talent. Um, I started working with Joy quite fortuitously. I got given her to work on as day to day manager, um, but then have since worked very hard to set up my own infrastructure and career so that I can manage her in a senior capacity um so a good mixture of uh, luck and hard work I think so it'd be good to talk about um building your relationship with joy and what you kind of give each other mm. I suppose um yeah because I've you know I've seen you guys together and it's just like like you two get on like that I mean she is It'd be hard not to get on yeah. your joy, I would imagine. She is hilarious. Um, but yeah, how did that relationship kind of grow? Um, I think, you know, meeting, working with her when she was so young, um, they're quite formative years. So I think they're very, you're really, really responsible for that person's welfare and protecting their best interests in a way that she was a child, you know, that well, she was a teenager. Um, mm. So the level of responsibility I think was even more so there's a there's a high level of responsibility managing any artist but managing an artist from so young you are I think you feel like a a real um sense of duty and care Mm. there um so I think that's that's why we've developed such a healthy working relationship and like you say Ali we sort of like get on so well we just we know each other very well We've been through quite a lot mm. together already in the sort of four or five years that we've been working together. And um, we've just developed a really, like a, a really incredible level of trust. So and I think that that is ultimately the most important thing, isn't it? With any manager and artist relationship, they have to trust. They have to trust you and vice versa. Absolutely. I think there's that, there's that thing of obviously being a manager, your whole job is to be good at a bit of everything and you have to kind of be aware of every side of it is there a side of management that you personally are drawn to most whether that's A&R or the marketing or the personal day-to-day stuff what what kind of side are you drawn to most um I'm not I'm not too much of an A&R manager I the marketing side of things like yeah I would say is probably more of a forte especially mm-hmm. Something that we've been really successful with with Joy is building her online following and her social media following. And that's something that 
you know, we're now in a really lucky, privileged position. We've got like a team of people around us. But for a long time, me and Joy were like taking photos ourselves, editing photos ourselves, mm-hmm. like bringing in mates to kind of cut together little promo reels and sizzle reels and like the funny bits of content that you've seen on our social media over the years have sort Mm -hmm. of formed that identity. And that was just all stuff, you know, we kept in house when we put out one of our first records through Insanity. Um, And it got uh, BBC introducing track of the week, like Mm -hmm. in all honesty, slightly unexpectedly at that stage. Um, So Mm -hmm. I just grabbed my camera, went down to Elephant and Castle and me and Joy just shot a music video, like running around Elephant and Castle, <laughs> cut it together and kind of got yeah. it out within a couple of weeks of the of the single release so that there was some visual content to accompany it. Oh, so, you know, we've, yeah, much more on like the marketing, digital um, content side of things. I think I have uh-huh. have historically had quite a big hand in. How did the um, the label come about? Were they there early days or was it something you'd been with Joy for a while and then the label came? How did this sort of deal with Insanity come to fruition? So we were independently putting out her first EP and we did her first um, headline show at Corsica. And um, Ali Fletcher, who was a r Insanity at the time, um, Pete Dalton, Mr Jam, uh, came down to the gig um so they saw her headline show at Corsica and I think that was really the sort of um the cast list for everything and that's sort of got got them on the hook I think how um I was lucky enough to be at that show at Earth oh yeah was it yeah in November yeah. which felt like you know you could see it on Joy's face that was the first time I'd seen her live but you could tell from like her monologues in between songs of how much it meant yeah. her to have that many people in the room and it was a really quite like, I don't know, cathartic, or just, it was such a like, unifying experience. I totally got it when I saw that live show. It'd be good if you could maybe talk us through the period in between those two gigs. So from that first one at Classica yeah. to that one at Earth, what are the big points that stand out in your mind, good and bad? Ooh, okay. I mean, well, <laughs> even going like, <laughs> back further than the Corsica show... From the moment we started working together, I was so adamant. And it's it's a really costly thing when you're a solo artist and but you want to play with a live band and you're at the very beginning of your oh, career. God, it's a very yeah. costly thing to go and put on full band shows. And I was so adamant that it's something that we had to do from like the very, very off to right. build her as a live artist. Um, because she because it would translate, it could translate. She's she's that good mm-hmm. live. Um and I'm 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 so pleased that we put so much hard work into it because by the time she went and did her first headline show at Corsica and to most people in the room mm-hmm. that's the first time they've seen her she'd been honing that craft for ages and she was really accomplished so she's just brilliant able to take all the opportunities that she's got in the live arena and take them in her stride and mm-hmm. capitalize on them and she's been that she, like her and the band are so great um so the kind of journey between Corsica and Earth, what stands out as the highlights and the lowlights? <laughs> yeah, God, I mean, I think, for, for example, that first thing you said, there was an amazing first decision, I guess, that you that you made, because it'd be easy for a manager to turn around and go, oh, come on, you're solo. We can't afford session musicians. We can't afford all yeah. this. But I love that you just said that. No, no, I can see what this can be. Yeah. And you went with that. So that was a key decision. So maybe it'd be good to think about other key things on that journey would be quite yeah I mean I think 
we've always just tried to keep it very um, authentic and not too distracted a performance. So we haven't like haven't brought in like a massive band or backing singers or any like to today. I mean, we will build this in at some point, but like elaborate <laughs> sets and like massive production. We want to get the lighting right. We want to get the sound right. We want to get the set mm-hmm. so it flows perfectly and the performance is perfect and like let joy and the music and the material and the band speak for themselves. So I think we've always had like quite a, um, quite like a strict view in that sense of keeping it just about the music. Um, and I think it's just joy, like taking ownership of her set and making it sound exactly how she wants it. Because obviously a live arrangement is different to the recorded version of a track. So Mm -hmm. sort of honing that and getting it to getting, getting the sonics of the live set to sit within her vision Mm -hmm. for it. So that's something we've worked Mm -hmm. really hard on. I think one moment that I have in mind where you could really see it come into fruition and see it pay off her doing all these shows for all these years is when we went to Glastonbury last year, which was our first time at Glastonbury Mm -hmm. and she did the treehouse stage. So I think it was a Saturday if my memory serves. And she basically opened the broadcasting for BBC with um, a live Mm -hmm. version of don't let me down, which was just her on her guitar um, with like park amazing. stage and the entirety oh, of amazing. Glastonbury in the background. Yeah. <laughs> just coming to. Yeah. And I was just so nervous. I was just stood behind the camera rig, just so, so nervous for her going up. Mm. I don't think she had done a live broadcast at that point, full stop. And I was just like, Excellent. and she Aww. nailed it. She was fantastic. Oh. And it was just like such a payoff moment for the whole team and uh, she got to the end of the song and people you know we had like the whole team with us we had our tv plugger and label and um boyfriend and me and uh content manager and everyone was there and we just like erupted and I I think it was Edith Bowman was just like oh (laughs) you've got a bit of a fan club with you today (laughs) (laughs) it's almost like a release of tension yeah it was it was we we totally forgot ourselves we completely forgot what we were and she sort of like played the last note of the song and everyone was just like ah (laughs) John (laughs) that's class and it's that is such a almost influential spot to get that in terms of broadcasting because you know you've worked so hard to try and get the attention of djs and tv presenters radio presenters and then that's the kind of moment that they all cling around because they're all there they're all talking mm-hmm. oh did you see joy's performance and stuff so yeah i can tell why everybody freaked yeah. out once she yeah. did that yeah. <laughs> one of my um the first time i actually saw joy was at like a little sort of women in music event i think at the top of the mondrian hotel if it serves to be right you you've got that face on you because i had a feeling it wasn't her favorite gig ever but i just and that was the first time i even kind of knew she existed if i'm honest and they you know they whoever was running the event introduced her and said she's going to play some songs for us and she was just like she just blew my mind for somebody who at the time, I don't know how old she maybe was at the time, but she seemed quite young. She just had this kind of confidence in her and this, I hate using the word sassy because it's quite a, you know, you never call a man sassy, do you? You always call a woman sassy, but mm. you know, this kind of like, yeah, self-assured, self-assured confidence and also just like, 
what's the term when it's like you're wise beyond your years a little bit or you're, do you know what I mean yeah she's an old, old soul, soul is exactly certainly. the word I was looking for and she I think you know being a music industry event everybody was you know just milling around crowd and was like nobody's gonna be listening to my music then okay it's time for me to come out into the crowd and make you listen and she took her guitar and she basically wandered up to all these women in like suits at the front who looked terrified and I just thought <laughs> fucking go on girl like because these events must be horrible to play like they must just be horrible to play and she just owned it and she looked amazing and she just yeah I always remember that as just she was like well fuck it no one's gonna listen to my music no one cares for sure I remember the exact moment you're talking about it was at the end of the set and she always ends the set like that like a duo set she she ended it because it was a women in music event she ended it on a song called power which is thematically about female empowerment um and she sort of started the song and it's a song very dear to her heart and she sort of started the song and you could see on her face she was just yeah that is another word I wanted to use but I chose not to but thank god you said it yeah (laughs) the engagement in the room had dropped down to like a solid 20% and she was just like fuck it I'm not singing to a brick wall if you won't pay attention to me then I'll come and pay attention to you and these poor women I think were just shitting themselves (laughs) she just strolled around the room delivering this song like right in their faces but it was fantastic she has that um, I fully I fully rate that she has that no issue with it whatsoever she has that lyric as well doesn't she which I love which is um you come from a woman have some fucking respect and she yeah. literally you're said you're on a mission but you seem to forget you came here through a woman show yeah and she respect. sort of went up to the women and went show some fucking respect that lyric at that point and I just thought oh god they're gonna think she's she kind of is side-eyeing them but she is at the same time and I just thought what a crazy like incredible incredible artist yeah she just is brilliant she is she's one of a kind I love one of a kind yeah yeah when you were approaching things like that, so obviously when you're starting out and things are starting to get a bit of heat with an artist and you're in London and there's opportunities right, left and centre, some that might not pay off as much mm-hmm. as others. How was her approach to that and how's your approach to that? Do you think, is it a case of do everything you can or is it be quite selective? Uh, yeah, be super, be super selective, I think. Um, be selective and strategic. You definitely don't have to do everything. And if you do do everything, mm-hmm. it will often devalue the project or the artist in the long run. So um, that's why I think it's really important not to rush the development of an artist and let them Mm -hmm. really find their identity because once you've done that, you know what kind of gigs they should be playing. You know what kind of, if they're going to go and do brand partnerships, what those brand partnerships should be and Mm -hmm. get your, set your goals, start your relationships with people and have um, some loyalty and longevity instead of just mm. doing everything. Just do a few things yeah. well. When you were talking about sort of like, you know, being super selective, it made me think about how how have you picked your team? Because obviously there must have been a point where, you know, numerous live agents were interested in representing her. Numerous labels were, I imagine it wasn't just Insanity we were having the conversation with. How did you make the decision to pick, you know, everyone from the label to the live agent to even like the TM and things like that? How do you, how did you come to those decisions? Are they based around personal experience? Are they based around, um, um, usually with tour, it's usually friends or people she knows, I imagine. Um, yeah, how did you kind of pick that that team, which seems to be just be doing so well for her at the moment? Mm. Um, it's sort of a, a variety of ways. Um, 
some of the team members are people that we've just worked with for years and years um and there's a really good relationship there and there really needs to be because you know if, if we're going on the road with someone and they're shooting all the bts from a tour and all that kind of stuff and they're going to be like putting a camera in joe's face all day every day that kind of is great if there's a personal relationship there otherwise i don't, I don't think you get the kind of same thing um and i think you know with with labels and pluggers and um tv pluggers etc when you are lucky enough to get to a certain level this might be a bit of a hot take. When you're lucky <laughs> enough to get to a certain level, relatively speaking, the kind of contact lists and qualifications are pretty are pretty similar. So I think at that point, it's a personality mm. match. Yeah. And it's who just feels right for the project and um, seems to like fit into the team the best and who's the most enthusiastic, really. Who's mm-hmm. like beating down the door, who like... Do you get a text from every single day, chasing and chasing it up? And that I think is the kind of I think that's a really important thing that enthusiasm and that passion. Hey guys, I hope you're enjoying this episode. We just want to bring your attention to one quick thing we're doing, which is we're teaming up with an excellent startup called Small Green Shoots, a company delivering music projects and opportunities to young creatives and emerging artists all over London. Yep, so over to this week's tipster from the Small Green Shoots office, it's Lorita. And then we are going to dive straight back into our chat with Charlie with her thoughts on how the hell you set goals for a campaign with a breaking artist in the year that is 2020. That's coming up, but first, here's Lorita. Hi guys, my name's Lorita. I am a project assistant at Small Green Shoots, and today I'll be taking you guys on one of my favorite artists. One of my most recent favorite artists is, um, she goes by the name Cleo Soul. She's an R&B and soul singer, and the reason why I love her is because I think that in today, in the music industry today, I don't think there's anyone that makes music the way she does. I don't think anyone has songs that like even remotely sound to, like similar to hers. One thing I also love about her music is that there's not a, there's never much going on with the soundtrack of her music. It's all it's always like the focus is mainly on her voice, and her voice is stunning. So yeah. Shout out to Small Green Shoots. Follow our socials, follow us on Instagram at Small Green Shoots, follow us on Twitter at Small Green Shoots with two zeros in the shoots. Yeah. So if we bring it forward to where we are at the moment in this new normal, from when we kind of like locked down in March to now. Yeah. She's obviously been amazing on socials. Like she's been really good at keeping things active. Obviously, there's been a lot going on in the world that's just shit to do with, you know, things going on in America and the Black Lives Matters movement happened, which was amazing and, you know, one of the biggest civil rights movements of of the last 100 years. And she's been very active in that and and making sure that she feels she had cuz she has a voice, she should have a voice and so she says. Mm-hmm. Um 
how have things kind of I'm going to go back around to my question here just went off piste completely um but how have since things locked down to now how have things changed in terms of obviously she can't go to studios and write obviously she can't go to photo shoots obviously you couldn't do any touring festival season was gone so did you sort of decide get together early on and be like right this is our plan for the next three months because this stuff is gone um I mean there was there was that to an extent but also because the pitch changes every week you'll sort of sit down you'll be like right okay so we've lost x y and z or x y and z has shifted so this could be the new plan this can be the new release schedule rollout schedule whatever but then a week later the pitch is all sort of shifted again and because no one knows really how long this is going to go on for what it's going to look like over the next six months to a year to longer to further than that it um it's such such a constantly moving picture that instead of being that specific mm-hmm. I think we've taken more of an overarching view of okay well we're actually really lucky we didn't have we had the Harry Styles support tour booked in yeah. which we lost obviously which was devastating and we've lost our run of um summer festivals of course mm-hmm. like everyone else has but we didn't have to reroute a headline. Uh, well, we didn't have to rebook or mm. reschedule um, a headline tour. Um, we didn't have stuff, you know, that I feel really devastated for those artists. Um, so we were we were quite lucky to that extent. So we haven't, you know, announced the album or anything yet. So I think we've just taken the time to go, okay, great. Well, you've got more time to work on your record. You are now... Whereas before you were running here, there and everywhere and always in studios with collaborators mm. and producers, you're now kind of back where it started in your home studio set up at your desk. So hone, hone that craft. So she's been working on her production and we've been working on the record and there's been a lot of productive stuff that we have been able to do over lockdown to keep things moving and push, push it all forward. And we put a single out over lockdown yeah. still. You know, we had a we had a single that we felt con- content-wise in terms of what the song was talking about, it felt like it was the right thing to do to put it out still. So we put that out and that performed really well and we're really pleased with that and seemed to resonate with her audience. Um, so I am pleased that we, that we went through with that and we will be putting new music out soon. Again. Yeah, I I really like the way that she's kind of adapted. No, it's not adapted. It's just her being her, isn't it? But in in the the sort of COVID Insta story madness, where it got to the point where I could not watch another live, or I would lose mm. lose my shit. I was like, don't need to see another random life. But something about hers, I just always love. She was just herself, and I feel like one thing that you guys have done really well with the socials is you've managed to like. Sh- she's obviously joy crooks the artist but she's so much like joy crooks the person as well you know so much about who she is that she likes to cook you know she's got the cat all these kind of really random things, which i don't know i know anything i'm not a stalker but i just happen to know these things because she flashes on my ins and i sort of want to watch them i find her really funny and engaging and interesting and and i think that is just you know a, a big accomplishment to you and the team for and saying make that's who she is you haven't made her even shaped her in that way but you know being able to to capture that like 
really good authentic essence of who she is and put it out where people aren't just like oh piss off well I'm not anyway if anyone else is but like <laughs> and I love that I think that's that's amazing so yeah congrats to you guys for yeah. that yeah I think to an, oh, thank you. I think to an extent that's intentional because Joe's music is very candid very frank very open and honest so then why would we portray her on social media in this curated kind of polished Completely. way because that doesn't actually align with with her style of music and her her songwriting and her lyrics. So, I mean, I think half the charm of Joy mm. and the reason people are engaged with her is because she is accessible and she is relatable um, and power to her. Yeah. Has she always had that confidence to walk into... I remember when she was nominated in the long list for The Sound of 2020 this year, the BBC, and one of the main music reporters in the BBC, Mark Savage, interviewed yeah. her. And he came back, came back to the desk and sat down after doing that interview. And he was like, that was one of the best pop interviews I've ever done. Oh, wow. Because she was so chill. And I don't think he's laughed as much. <laughs> yeah. Has she, has she always had that confidence? Because I think if you're managing a young artist and they're not the most charismatic interview winning person, like Lewis Capaldi or whatever, you might kind of mm. worry. But has she grown into that confidence or has she always just been holy? Yeah, she's always been confident, but it's, def it's definitely grown the older she's got and the more self-assured she's got. And um, I think even when we came in and did the video content with you around the sound <laughs> of, she probably said some fairly outrageous stuff. Um, so. It's sort of <laughs> in her wheelhouse. But... <laughs> but that's good to know that, you know, that does come when you've got the right support around you, when you've got people you trust around you that you know you're going to be looked after, yeah. that then artists can come into their I own. Think, I think know. it's it's actually quite good. I think it's actually served her quite well because what she does is she walks into a space and then she says something quite outrageous or quite left field uh -huh. and then suddenly all like pretense <laughs> yeah. just from everyone in the room just drops <laughs> and everyone's like, oh, fine, we can all be relaxed. This is doesn't have to be like this yeah. stuffy kind of artist relation sort of vibe it's fine she's very she's very totally. casual she's very relaxed which she is yeah and it felt like that at the gig as well because she mm. interacts so heavily with yeah. the audience it's like, yeah yeah which is that gig at earth like it was also the first time i'd ever been in earth and i walked in and i was like this is this is a strange setup with the benches yeah. and stuff and instantly it fitted. yeah i was, was just so that worried that no one was gonna um stand up because it's obviously yeah, this like auditorium the style theatre with these concrete benches on every level. So it lends itself mm -hmm. to a seated audience. And I think historically, there's not that many gigs where people have stood up. And mm -hmm. so I was stood at the back of the room. Well, I sort of jumped up as she was kind of coming down through the back stairwell. And I went to the back and I was like, please 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 and then her very good friend and makeup artist walked in just in front of her and she just went like this to the crowd and just waved her arm up like that and then everyone stood up just Aww. as joy walked on stage and they did not sit back down yeah it was a great for gig. That full yeah. full gig no one sat back down and it was inc incredible so um, one of the things we touch on every now and again on the podcast and one of the reasons it's come back into the fold today is because I just before I we started recording with you, I was talking to um, 
uh, a lecturer at a university who's putting a book out called Music Can Make You Sick. And it's all about mental health in music. And there's a line that he says that he says he stole from a stolen, like, all the artists and stuff that he'd interviewed for the book. He said that, and they said something along the lines of making music is therapy, making money off music is horrific. As if to say like, mm-hmm. you know, the part with the creative part where I'm in the student writing is amazing, but the moment I have to turn art into commerce, it, it, it actually yeah. affects me mentally a bit because I don't understand why. And also it's this thing about, you know, once culture becomes involved, are you cool enough? What's your definition of success? How do you define all these things? Oh my God, the layers. Exactly. Yeah. So I was thinking mm-hmm. with Joy, obviously she's in, you know, a really lovely build and position with her career at the moment. But like any artist, I'm sure she has her her moments where she doesn't feel she's good enough. She doesn't feel it's going the way it needs to go or, or she's just having a day where she's like, I just need a break from it. Or how do you as a manager sort of keep tabs on that and, and look after her her mental health? And of course, not taking away from you as a manager and how stressful it is for you to have someone else's mental health in your mind. How do you look after yourself <laughs> as well? So yeah. <laughs> Um, I think with Joy, it's just um, communication. So we have a really open dialogue. Um, we're pretty mm. close. Um, and she's very honest with me. So I know where her head's at. We speak every day. I know where her head's at. And therefore, I can sort of protect or buffer her to an extent and, and try and mm-hmm. keep whatever she has to do at that time appropriate for where her headspace is at. And, you know, we're lucky we've got a really lovely team around us. We're super understanding and we can, you know, we can adapt her, her, her diary and whatever. But um, I think fundamentally, yeah, it's just, it's, it's communication, having an open dialogue, knowing where your artist's head's at and not putting them in a compromising situation. Is she one of those artists that... I think this makes a difference slightly is some artists like I'll just write the songs deliver it you can put it out tell me where to be tell me where to go or is she somebody who's like what does this mean where are we going what is this meeting who is this person tell me how this works what happens if this happens here or is she somebody who's like I'm just going to concentrate my art that's all I do all the other people could do all the rest um she's pretty across it she she has a good level of involvement she doesn't really we can sort of schedule promo and stuff like that and i'll just brief her on what's going on and she's not not too um involved in that side of things but she wants to know what the strategy is she wants to know where things are going she wants to know what the marketing strategy is and you know as she should it's her Mm. career at the end of the day and in terms of the the music side of it she's definitely not uh, i've written the song go and do whatever you like with it now she's um she sits across the production the mixing and a lot of the time the mastering as well <laughs> she's she's really really involved you mentioned goals earlier on and i think obviously joy's doing really well has had so many tips has got you know been offered incredible tour supports before the world stopped and you know so many things going right she's built such a following for a younger artist or a younger manager looking at that, it can sometimes seem so unattainable. And I think a lot of mental health problems in managers can be caused by completely unattainable goals, by looking to the future and going, how am I ever going to mm. reach that thing, no matter how much you achieve? If Without giving away the secret sauce <laughs> of how the campaign's working, it'd be good to know what goals you're aiming at at the moment. 
be that figures and followers or you want this single to go X number of places? Have you got kind of short to midterm goals with Joy? At the yeah, moment? definitely. We've got short to midterm goals and we've got long term goals. Um, I don't want to sort of be held held to account <laughs> if we say what the girls yeah, are. No, we no, didn't no, mean no, that. Grammy um, next year. We've got certain ambitions. <laughs> yeah, maybe it's even talking about are you are you conscious of those? Yeah, things, of course, like, on absolutely. a daily basis, because so, and the pressure you put I would yourself say, on. I would make a couple of points. We absolutely have goals, um, and I think it's important to have short term, medium term, and long term goals the whole time and be constantly re-evaluating mm-hmm. them. So, of course, you know, we have certain playlisting ambitions for the next few singles. We have an idea of when we do put the record out, where we would like that record to be placed and even potentially chart. There, there are certainly goals in that respect. I know what kind of venues we want to be playing mm-hmm. over the next 12 to 24 months. I know what venue I want to sell out in 2021. Um, mm-hmm. And... So that's great because then you have all the incremental steps in between now mm-hmm. and that goal and you sort of know that you're on the right trajectory if you're hitting those steps. But I'll also say, mm-hmm. you know, as a young artist or a young manager, looking at anyone else's career and um, thinking that something's unattainable, I don't I don't know if anyone ever reaches a point where they're like, that's cool, like everything's accessible to us now. Like mm. I totally. watch other artists and other managers, as I know Joy does as well, and get frustrated that we haven't managed to achieve X, Y, and Z. So whatever your picture looks like and however successful you think it is, there's always something that that person hasn't managed to get yet. And there's always like a grass is greener attitude. And I think that's where like social media for all of its value Mm. can be quite damaging because artists are constantly comparing themselves. And it's like you don't have to achieve it all. Just set your goals and work towards them. Um, and celebrate whatever achievements you do make if you're constantly comparing yourself to other artists Mm. you're going to have to get every accolade every playlist every everything under the sun before (laughs) you'll ever be satisfied and the thing that's funny about that is that you will look at an artist who has been phenomenally successful chart playlist wise gig wise but now is now looking for that coolness and that cosine so they're trying to work with the cooler act so it's it's really interesting like to see how what you consider to be success and what you consider to be culturally cool are two things that don't run inside one another so it was part of this weird um this like interview I was chatting to this guy earlier about he was talking to me about how you know that's the reason that someone like Drake has had all the success in the world you couldn't have more success than Drake but Drake is desperately like got a track coming out with Heady One because he wants a London co-sign do you know what I mean it's like Drake Mm. doesn't need Heady One like Drake doesn't need do you know what I mean like (laughs) he obviously wants to support the support the team and support the genre and great on him but also it's he wants to be seen as cool and working with cool new talent where it's just so it's really interesting to see they always said that the comparison is the killer of joy that's what they say the moment you compare you'll just mm. kill all joy yeah and I just think it's so interesting that you said that I because it's, it's yeah it's a hundred percent just it must be so hard to be an artist and people think you're doing amazingly and you're having you're really enjoying your life and then you see another artist and you think oh bugger like and it's just it's just so yeah. difficult it must be such a difficult balance for somebody and always remember that you have to do like what what's right for your your artist and your act, whether you're the artist mm-hmm. or the manager, it might not be appropriate to go gunning for something if that, 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 that doesn't really sit within like the brand of the artist or the 
what they're building mm-hmm. for themselves. Totally. So yeah, I think I think comparison can be super unhealthy. Definitely. And success mm-hmm. has many many guises. Can we end on um, a question that we like to ask sometimes, which I've literally just left my head. Ali, what's the question I always ask? Is it, is it, is it the one, the, the, yes, the, the new one. one for this series? Yes. About something yes. that you've worked on? Yeah, I absolutely fucking love this because maybe in the end of the series, I will answer it because I've got a list as long as my arm of things. So the thing that Sophie's been asking most, most managers in this series, <laughs> when she can remember, is... I hope I get this one right, um, is talking about things you've worked on, whether that's in management or somewhere else in music, songs or albums you've worked on that you thought should have been massive, but weren't. Is there anything that really sticks out in your mind that you're like, that should have been a hit? Um, oh, I mean, I think all of Joyce's songs should be hits. <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. They should have been number ones. <laughs> Um, I don't know because I feel like that would I would sort of contradict what I've just said about comparisons uh-huh. if I was to um, sort of show any dissatisfaction with mm. yeah, yeah, everything yeah, yeah, totally. everything that we've worked on uh, I think we've done to the best of our ability and mm-hmm. optimised as much as we can for the circumstances we were in at that point in time and do I retrospectively look back and think things could have been different or performed better yes maybe but is that actually I don't know if it's actually I think if I were to go back and be in that position again I probably would make all the same decisions Mm. does that make sense yeah that's a really healthy way to think about it and to 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 approach it yeah because if you've made a collective decision and it seems like you and Joy are so close then no matter what happens with that decision, at that time, you've made that decision and gone, this is a course yeah. of action. Mm. So there can't really be a, a blame or a what if, because you'll drive yourself completely yeah, insane. Yeah, I think so. I think so. That is a good answer. <laughs> That's such a cop-out. <laughs> no, it's fine. It's fine. It's so funny because you get some managers who are like, yeah, this song was a massive, but everyone just didn't get it. Like, it's funny. But... There are songs that I wish had been more successful, but to point to them would be to diminish the success that they did get. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, I was just going to ask in terms of, and again, another thing, when, when it's that build as a manager on your own and sort of as an independent manager, whether there's been a thought in your mind of growing the roster significantly when things are obviously going really well with Joy, or are you keen to keep focused on what you've got? Well, yeah, I think that's quite like an interesting conflict because you're like, well, things are going really well and we're achieving all this success. So is this, another, is this a good time to take on another act? But I think not because I think to divert my attention away from Joy now in the run-up to an album would be probably quite short-sighted. Mm-hmm. But then I have ambitions about how to expand in another way. And I'm at the moment almost more focused on collaborating with other managers mm. and having them with their artists maybe sit under an umbrella head and it's not even really like a commercial business idea it's more of like a community skill exchange sort yeah. of concept because as a independent manager it, it is really difficult you know you don't have colleagues you don't have a sounding board and do you then have to be absorbed into a larger company to um, to a- attain that. Um, and if you don't want to do that and you're not in a position where you can 
you know, start some massive empire yet. How do you, mm. how do you achieve that sense of camaraderie and team spirit? And um, I think that that there are there are managers out there in a similar position. So I mm-hmm. think that that's sort of more my tactic at the moment is working on those relationships and how we can collaborate and offer support to one another. Um, as opposed to actually building my roster of artists, although that is something I would like to do when the time is right. Mm. No, that's that makes a lot of sense, that I suppose, because you are almost like looking at you plugging some of the the gaps that you feel as an independent manager you don't have, and in order to take another artist, you might want to have those gaps filled first so you feel like you're fully able to offer them, you know, the service and the management that, that they deserve, so... Absolutely. And like nowadays, so many managers are, they have like another string to their Mm. bow, they have some kind of specialism. And so I think then what you're doing, if you're creating those links and those associations is everyone is then better able to service their artists. Because if you're working with someone that's got an incredibly strong uh, background in digital strategy, And then you can take that expertise and apply it to your artist. And you can also help out that manager if they're signing their first recording contract or X, mm. Y, and Z. And then there's a there's a skill exchange where people are only benefited and there's no, it's not hierarchical. Yeah. And it's not financially motivated either, which changes the agenda immediately. Completely. I love that idea. That's awesome. It's more like a co-op yeah, exactly. than anything else. That's sweet. I love that. That sounds like a very wholesome <laughs> and... Lovely worldview. <laughs> Idealistic and unrealistic. Yeah. It's great. Well, well, that's a juxtaposition of music management. You've got to kind of be both yeah. at the same time. You've got to be t- shoot for the stars, but be also really, frankly, realistic. Yeah, exactly. Manage those expectations. <laughs> well, congratulations on everything you've achieved so far. You're smashing it with joy. Um, I have no doubt you're going to go on to grow for years to come. Um, and I look forward thank to what's next for Joy. Much. Look forward to the album. Definitely. Thanks for having um, me, Thanks guys. for coming on. Yeah, and thank you so much. It was an pleasure. Well, thank you, guys. Thank you for checking out this episode. Big up Charlie for her time and those insights. Go check out Joy if somehow you haven't heard her music before. We wish them both all the best for the future. We're going to be dropping another episode in your feeds in two weeks' time. Hit us up on social media at ManageThatPod if you want to give us a shout or let us know any thoughts about the episode. We love hearing from you um, and I love replying to all these DMs we've been getting lately, which is class, just to hear what other people are up to and the sorts of guests you'd like to hear on the podcast. And as always, if you think there's anyone that could benefit from hearing these insights and stories we bring to you, please just tell them about the podcast. That would be a huge benefit to us. Right, until next time, take care of yourself. Goodbye.